over the course of human history. There's been Noah's Ark, savior of mankind. St. Francis of Assisi's, foregoing his wealth to be savior of all animals. And Curtis Sliwa, guardian angel and savior of New York City, protecting both man and beast. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents... Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. From bipeds to quadrupeds and everything in between. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Once again, the Animal Welfare Hour, which is out of all the hours that I do, and I've done even more this past week uh, because of substituting is the most listened to, the most requested, the most called in to of the many hours that I do here at WABC, where WABC, the acronym, stands for Always Broadcasting Curtis. But this is the one program in which my partner is uh, my wife, Nancy, uh, who is a great animal rights person, uh, no matter what the particular animal species is is a rescuer like so many who are listening, so many uh, nameless, faceless men and women throughout the five boroughs and the tri-state area who rescue uh, dogs and cats and other animals that are in need uh, and uh, uh, is the most listened to of all the programs that I do. So welcome again, Nancy. Thank you for having me again, Curtis. Well, I never thought that we'd have to start off an animal welfare hour by talking about the surging crime rate in New York City as it's affected animals. Let me just say it's uh, not in the belly of the hood that I'm used to patrolling uh, with the Guardian Angels. It's not in the South Bronx. It's not Brownsville, Brooklyn, East New York, South Jamaica. It's 106th Street off of 5th Avenue just on the other side of Central Park where we live. And I'm reading this story, and it says that the victim of the crime is storing a machete near his door. He's afraid to come out. And I'm thinking, Nancy, I'm thinking, wow, did some guy assault him in the neighborhood? Uh, Although that's relatively rare at at 106th and 5th Avenue. And then I find out. That the person storing a machete near his door, afraid to go out, is the victim of a crime because of the attacks on his two, am I correct, two beautiful little dogs? Yeah, so it's uh, two uh, rescue dogs. Uh, They have like a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old dog. Uh, You know, both relatively, one, one is bigger than the other, but uh, he had been walking them in Central Park, uh, Saturday night, so this is like a normal spot that he walks them, and apparently he ran into, uh, you know, someone in this area who he's seen before, you know, just like an individual who's, he recognized the dogs and, you know, like knew the person enough to, like, have recognized that, and, but what happened was the, uh, you know, the the other person had uh, three dogs that were kind of on the big side, um, he, uh, they were described as mini bullies, so it's like um, pit bull terriers and Stafford, uh, Staffordshire terriers, and these dogs were, you know, like off leash, 
and they were, uh, you know, snapping at the little dog. So the owner of the dog tells, you know, says, hey, you know, you know, you got to watch your dogs. They're off leash. They're going after my dogs. And he just, you know, loses it for some reason and decides to completely, um, you know, just like uh, actually command these dogs to attack the owner. So now what's, so now the, the owner's there with his wife, and what the wife does is the, uh, the wife, you know, uh, picks up the littler dog and is trying to hold that dog. And meanwhile, uh, you know, the guy's fending off the dogs. The dogs start attacking the bigger dog that's still on the ground, and all of a sudden they're going for this, you know, this dog. They're all going after this dog. So the dogs are getting all tangled up in the leashes, and now this guy, this sick guy who just stuck his dogs on, you know, this person winds up pulling out a pocket knife, like a folding knife, and starts to stab the, you know, that, that guy's dog and kills the dog and then runs away with his dogs. And, that, and this happened um, 8.30 in Central Park. This was Saturday night. Yeah, it's correct. It's the lead story in the Post and the Daily News. Yeah. It's the lead story in the evening news. And Alvin Bragg, that's his jurisdiction, district attorney, apparently has not prioritized this at all. They don't even have a division within the Manhattan District Attorney's Office that deals with animal abuse issues, of which there are many in Manhattan like there are in the other boroughs. Do you think it's because they're not prioritizing this? They know who this guy is. Uh, apparently, people in the neighborhood know this guy has uh, uh, is just not adjusted properly. And in fact, the victim uh, has said that he always complimented this guy when he saw him out with his dogs because he knew that that would sort of sedate him, you know, uh, so that he wouldn't uh, overreact. And nothing's been done. I mean, that's we're now a day later, and not any no arrest has been made. You know, it, it seems a, a bit um, reminiscent of what happened in Prospect Park with Moose. So, you know, even though in in many ways the attack in that situation was actually upon the woman, it was because the end result was uh, the dog um, dying, that it wasn't highly prioritized. But, you know, th- I mean, again, this is a situation. It's, oh, maybe they're viewing it, oh, the dog died. It's like, no, this was an individual who stuck their dogs on someone else as a weapon and then pulled out a folding knife to stab the other dog. I mean, this is someone you want to apprehend. I'm not sure why this hasn't been prioritized. And actually the owner of the dog who died um, said that, uh, you know, he happened to have um, pepper spray in his pocket. And then he uh, sprayed the entire bottle at this guy and it had no effect. So, I mean, what does that mean? Well, it means that in Alvin Bragland, uh, Nancy, uh, some ADA will find the nuance in the law that says a citizen cannot have pepper spray, cannot have mace. Watch. You'll see what happens. I hope not. So here it is. This guy is a victim. His dog has been stabbed. He's been threatened. He's storing a machete near his door. He won't come out. It's 106th Street and 5th Avenue. Everybody knows this crazy guy who has these three little pits. Apparently, he's a white guy. You can actually see a photo of him in the uh, newspaper. You see his back as he's leaving with the three dogs. And they haven't made an arrest yet. Nothing is happening in this city. 
It's out of control. Yeah, and this and this dog. Um, so this uh, a fourteen year old dog, uh, following it being stabbed, it was uh, you know rushed to the animal hospital, but you know due to the injuries it had and obviously its age and you know it had to be unfortunately uh, you know unfortunately euthanized and and that's really the problem. So we have. Like, you know, it just, it really accelerated this. And again, this would be, again, something that would be taken seriously if um, animals were viewed higher in the law as well. I mean, they're not property, they're family members. I mean, you have a family that, that just lost this dog, and, you know, there's another dog in the family as well, and it just lost its friend. I mean, there's a lot of people being affected and people who don't want to go back to Central Park because of what just happened, and potentially people who might want to leave New York City because of what just happened. This is why you want to prioritize this. You know, we broadcast right near the 17th Precinct. On my way into the studios today, I talked to two cops, and I said to them, hey, guys, is anything being done about the guy, you know, who assaulted the dogs up in Central Park? They were aware of it. They had heard it on the news, 106th and 5th. It's a Curtis. We can't even prioritize humans. There were just two women slashed in the subway station at 86 and Lex. They were the ones to alert me to that. We're trying to find the persons who are uh, still on the lam who slashed these two women. I mean, we're talking daylight. We're not talking in the wee hours of the morning. And then I asked them, I said, guys, is it true that the overtime that you were given – by Governor Hochul right before the election of uh, uh, against uh, Lee Zeldin. Uh, she gave 1,200 overtime shifts per day in overtime to flood the subway with cops in uniform to make it appear that things were safe and secure. They said to me, Curtis, that's over on Tuesday on the 20th. Mm-hmm. The overtime is over. So you can imagine people getting slashed and killed on the subway Dogs attacked on the outskirts of Central Park. This is like affecting everybody everywhere. And I I looked at the cops and I said to myself, I get it. They can't even deal with the crimes committed against human beings. They have no help from the DA's office because he's going to cut them loose. You can imagine the DA dealing with crimes against a dog. Alvin Bragg is not going to have a stomach to prosecute this case at all. Yeah, I mean, and if, and if they pull the cops, now we won't even have the perception of safety that, that Eric likes so much. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> it's really bad. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. Just know if you live in the five boroughs, you're on your own. Uh, whether it's a crime being committed against a human being or one of your furry little friends, member of your family, a dog, a cat, or any other animal, you got to stand your ground. You're on your own. You're not getting any help from the NYPD. They basically told me straight out, we just can't even deal with the crimes committed against humans. We have no time to be dealing with crimes that have been committed against animals. Our number's 1-800-848-WABC. Let's flip this script on a happier note. And I take great um, solace in this. Uh, I have a lot of uh, nachis with this, a lot of joy. Because, as you know, during the mayoral campaign, I got slammed over and over again. And just recently, 
when I suggested a remedy to the ever-growing rat, mice, and rodent problem in New York City is to have cats, feral cats, indoor cats, do what they have done historically, what Mother Nature has created uh, as a natural way of uh, eliminating uh, a rat or a mice problem that just overwhelms uh, any neighborhood, any facility, outdoors, indoors. And wow, give the good news to our audience because I'm certainly going to use this against all my naysayers, which are many. Editorials that were written making fun of my suggestion, the mayor who made fun of me, uh, others who said it won't work, those who are exterminators. Of course, if it worked, the exterminators wouldn't have as much business as they have now with chemicals. But what private businesses are now using cats to do rat mitigation? Uh, well, uh, apparently a number of uh, breweries around New York City are utilizing them as working cats, is what they call them. So uh, what's great, so this, uh, this story was highlighting this particular uh, group called Hard Hat Cats. And what they do is they work with, um, you know, cats who are in the, the city shelter system. Now, you know, it started out with um, the, the person who began it, who started doing TNR and realized, uh, you know, when you spay and neuter, sort of they, they stay around and the effects of doing that, all of that. So this developed into this concept of, um, you know, any of these outdoor cats who can't be placed because that, that's really the whole point of them. It's like they're not eligible for regular adoptions. So the same types of cats that uh, will take from the shelter because they're on the kill list, they're deemed too feral, you know, they can't be adopted into a home, but there is a place for them to go, uh, you know, and it's in these working environments. So this uh, story was highlighting this particular element of their working environment. So, like, uh, you know, for instance, they work in warehouses, bodega cats, those are familiar. Um, But, you know, again, so this is going into um, different breweries that are throughout uh, New York City. And, you know, basically saying that, Obviously, the goal is to start off with saving cats who otherwise would be euthanized because, you know, they're just, again, not deemed adoptable by, unfortunately, the shelter system. And also, they're providing, um, you know, a toxin-free uh, mitigation of uh, rats and rodents. So it's, a, you know, like a double great thing that they're doing, and it's really bringing attention and this story was highlighting, um, you know, several different locations. So, you know, again, just really and, – and they work in – now, here's another great thing. They work in conjunction with animal care and control. So, again, you know, as much as the shelter system needs to be overhauled because there's – you know, the management system isn't focusing on, um, you know, no kill, this is a program that they should prioritize a lot more. This is how you, um, you know, help get the cats out of the shelter who shouldn't be there in the first place. I mean, you know, you should be actively doing TNR, but, you know, these are the types of programs you want to highlight. Well, see, the problem is is that the city has health inspectors who go to these facilities because, obviously, they're serving alcohol, they're serving food. And if they see the cats on the premises, what do they generally do, Nancy? Well, so, right, so the idea is, like, in theory, they can, um, you know, uh, flag them, and give them a, a like a violation, right? A fine, but in many instances, you know, I, I, if the area—I mean, I, I think this what it is. I think if the, if the place is clean, a lot of times these places are getting a pass. They are looking the other way because they realize that 
it doesn't make sense to keep instituting this rule because, again, the whole point of it is for sanitary conditions. There's nothing necessarily unsanitary whatsoever. So they're not really finding them. And places are always willing to keep the cats there. They're willing to take the chance of potentially getting a fine. But, again, more often than not, they're not, they're not um, you know, um, eliciting a fine. But what the uh, requirement is is that they have to be away from – uh, food preparation areas. So that's, for instance, why uh, things like cat cafes, you can have people um, come in there and have beverages, but if they're having a food, it has to be in a wrapped, closed container because of this weird overregulation of saying, well, you know, how dare you have open food in front of cats, you know, like most people do in their houses and apartments. So again, all of these rules that make no sense and really keep cats that need to be adopted out of the public's eye need to be changed, and many places are already doing it, which is great. Well, I remember the editorials that were written against me claiming that my idea about using domestic cats and feral cats was crazy, was not workable. And yet if we look at the Jacob Javits Convention Center, which is owned and run by the state of New York, technically uh, it's now Governor Hochul who's responsible for years previously, going back to Mario Cuomo and then uh, Elliot Spitzer, David Patterson, and even when Andrew Cuomo was elected uh, the governor, they had a severe rat problem. It was so bad. They're wharf rats. They come right out of the uh, Hudson River. Huge rats uh, that they would uh, infiltrate into the convention center so that when the people would come with their exhibitions, you know, as they would end the day or start the day, there would be rats everywhere. Rats everywhere. Naturally, uh, people wouldn't want to put their exhibitions up. That's a huge uh, income revenue generator for the city of New York and the state of New York. I mean, yeah, and, and in addition to, to that, like other places throughout New York City that utilize them. So, um, you know, the multitude of warehouses, think of anything that's on the, the shoreline where obviously, um, you know, rats and rodents exist. Uh, gardens, uh, there's... Um, like a hundred plus city gardens that actually have cat colonies existing within them because they recognize um, how incredibly useful it is. And like we were talking about the bodega cats. So, I mean, this this is something that it already exists. So, you know, it, it's it's almost the same thing as um, the jaywalking law. I mean, you know, it's it's not real. It still exists, but most people aren't enforcing it. And I think what's needed to happen is just the official element of the city recognizing and acknowledging, like, the rights of these cats to exist there. Because, I mean, again, this is the, the missing element of everything. You know, these cats have rights to exist. There's no reason we should be uh, fining people for doing this. Uh, you know, it, it, again, it just it really needs to be brought forward. Clearly, in, in all of the public referendum forums, uh, you know, the, the public is fine with having it. So this is an antiquated thing. This is what the public wants. I mean, it's it's really well, long overdue. Just think of it. Government is always do as I say, but not as I do. So you have this state building, state-run building, the Jacob Javits Convention Center. I'm sure many of our listeners now have been there for the uh, car show, other shows, lots of crowds. They serve food. They prepare food. And yet... After all was said and done, they couldn't get rid of the rats with all the pesticides, uh, all the exterminators. Andrew Cuomo signed off to allow four cats to be housed there. And just the presence of the cats, the smell of the cats in the air, 
not detected by people. It's not that there's a smell of the cats. No, no, they're, they're kept clean, and obviously the litter boxes are changed. But the rats, the mice, and the rodents can smell the cats at a great distance, and they will not emerge from their lairs. They will not come up to the floor of the convention center. They will not go into the kitchens or the bathrooms because they're paralyzed in fear. They get a sense that there are cats in the area, so they avoid it. And, and this concept of the Working Cats program, now this has been uh, adopted uh, in Chicago, believe it or not, with all the problems they have. They've been able to, to have this program uh, for a number of years. It's so successful that there's not even enough cats to fill the spots. So the, the shelters are emptying out because this program is so successful. So, again, when you see something that, that's working, it really needs to be implemented. And, you know, New York City continues to drag its feet on these programs that make sense and that are showing success all throughout the country and the world. So, you know, I mean, it's really time to update the system already. Well, you know how protective New York City residents are of their gin mills, their bars, and places where they consume their liquor and beer. And yet now they'll have cats there so that there won't be the rats, the mice, and the rodents. Anyway, our numbers... This is the Animal Welfare Edition exclusive to WABC, 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. The Curtis Lewa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Lewa. We started the Animal Welfare Hour telling you how bad it's gotten in New York City with the crime. Dog attacks. That means a dog was stabbed to death. The culprits fled with their own dogs, although they aren't the ones that killed the dog. It was a, a human being with a knife. It's an all-points bulletin, no arrests made, and Alvin Bragg. D.A. in Manhattan, who is friends with the criminals and uh, not the victims of crime or those who take a stand and defend themselves and others, uh, has said nothing about this case. It's the lead story on all the news. It just shows you how bad things are. But let's uh, leave, if we can, Nancy, the five boroughs, go out to Long Island, where you spent most of your years growing up after you were born in Greenpoint, Brooklyn, uh, out in Bohemia and Suffolk County, Apparently now there are situations where dogs are overdosing on drugs. Can you explain that situation? Because uh, we had the same situation in Manhattan uh, just a few weeks ago that you uh, were able to explain to us what was going on. Yeah, so this, this actually is, it's, it's still a little bit mysterious. But so it's it's not clear if these dogs were brought into an animal hospital or a people hospital, but these dogs were, you know, clearly uh, violently ill, and the owner brought them into a hospital. And for some reason, the staff had noticed that it, it seemed like they, they had symptoms of a drug overdose. So, again, I'm not sure how you would tell that in a dog, but they knew enough about it. Um, they wound up distributing Narcan to the dogs, and as they're doing that, they're calling the local authorities. And so, you know, then they do uh, toxicology reports on these dogs. And they had um, fentanyl and cocaine in their system. So, you know, apparently without having this Narcan, they would have overdosed. So the owner of these puppies, because uh, they were like 15 weeks old, 
was charged with um, uh, misdemeanor counts of animal cruelty for, you know, this situation. So, yeah, I mean, I'm sure this is going to happen a lot more given that, unfortunately, this is prevalent, you know, usage among a lot of people now. Now, hold on a second. Yes. We've seen this happening with children who yeah. seem to come across drugs that are being stored uh, in the apartments of uh, their parent or guardians or whatever, and they're being taken to the hospitals and given Narcan. Yeah. And we saw the complaints of residents of the Upper East Side, which is like under a crime wave, with the two women being slashed on the uh, 4, 5, and 6 train platform of 86 in Lexington, uh, where... Dogs walking out were ingesting uh, weed that was left on the street, you know, the roaches. Correct. And getting sick. But this is serious drugs. So this is the dogs were inject, ingesting, uh, you said, fentanyl and cocaine? Yeah, correct. So, you know, and again, what what's sort of... Um it's like what's surprising to me is I guess with the time with which I guess the owner brought these dogs to the hospital. So again, I'm going to presume it's just a regular hospital, but to recognize that those were the symptoms within a dog. And also, I mean, it's, it's, you know, this is something that's new to me. I'm not sure if this just happened to work with these dogs in this instance, but I wasn't aware that Narcan did work for dogs or, you know, any animal for an, for an overdose potentially. And again, like, like you said, if, if you know people might have it in their homes, but in New York City, obviously there's instances of people finding stuff on the streets now. We were covering that before too, so you know this would be good to know. Like going forward, like is this something that can be used with dogs? I'm not, I mean, this is the first time I've heard of this. This is crazy. This indicates how oversaturated with uh, hardcore drugs we are that we're giving Narcan now to babies and uh, young children who, while crawling around or walking around, ingest the drugs that are in the apartments that they live in, fentanyl, cocaine, heroin, and then they have to be administered Narcan. And now in this case, dogs. I mean, that shows you how systemic the problem is, the availability of these really hardcore drugs, cocaine, heroin, and fentanyl in households in the tri-state area. I mean, yeah, clearly the, the volume is tremendous. I mean, I think anyone going, you know, taking the, the subways can attest to the fact that you see uh, paraphernalia much more so in the past, you know, year or so than ever before. So the usage is prevalent, and it's in very public places, parks. I mean, it's it's so open. I mean, yeah, you can't go anywhere without. I mean, so... And, and it's not like anyone's tidy about cleaning up. So, and the sanitation isn't cleaning uh, things up regularly. So, it's just there. It's all over. Now, the good news story: apparently, yeah. a mother duck <laughs> and her ducklings were saved by, I guess, public safety officers in the town of Matza Pizza, aka Massapequa, which is where our own Brian Kilmeade lives. Uh, can you sort of explain to us what transpired and what a dire circumstance uh, the mama duck was with her little ducklings? <laughs> yeah, so it was actually um, the Nassau County Police. So it was six of them. They had responded. Um, it was uh, someone had called the cops because they saw a mother duck, and she was on, it's like Old Sunrise Highway. Uh, this is in Massapequa. 
and, you know, just very, very frantically, um, you know, circling this uh, this sewage drain, which was right near a, a very busy highway, so they realized something was amiss. They called the cops because I guess that's the <laughs> the natural thing to do, and the cops showed up, and they were able to, um, <laughs> believe it or not, this is a great story, they were able to lure the ducklings um, because they knew where this drainage, um, you know, place went, where the sewage drainage went. So they used a duck calling um, uh, whistle, I guess that's what it is. Sure. And they were able to play that. And then the, the ducklings came swimming over. That's their natural instinct. And, you know, they're wild. So right away, it's like they were able to get these ducks over. And then as soon as they saw the mother, they went over to them. So... I mean, I, they, and, and what was interesting was when they're covering the story, they said, oh, this is actually par for the course um, for them in uh, this area because there is so much more of the wildlife element. So, you know, on their phones they have pictures of all these wildlife rescues that they do in the course of their job. So, I mean, that's, like, really interesting and, and like, heartwarming to hear those types of stories. So I've been on Old Sunrise Highway many times. I'm sure you've been there. So that means in the sewers – Sometimes yeah. the duck, the female duck, the mother duck, is raising her ducklings in the sewer. Well, I guess so. So in theory, I guess she could be doing that. But in this instance, it seems like she was trying to walk them across the road or down the road. Oh. And they slip through. And then because she couldn't get down there, she's frantic because she didn't know how to get at, you know, toward them. So, you know, again, it, but this is what's... Um, you know, great about growing up in an area where you're really more accustomed to the wildlife. Like, you notice right away, this is something wrong. This, you know, this duck wouldn't be doing this unless it's a very emergency situation. So they were mindful enough to say, oh, let me call the cops. And the cops were, you know, thankful enough they showed up, and it actually did work out well. You know, it reminds me when I was running for mayor, I was out in Staten Island on Highland Boulevard off Seaview not far from the uh, Staten Island Psychiatric uh, Hospital. And I saw all these turkeys out in the middle of Highland Boulevard, and I'm, like, running out there frantically thinking they're going to get squashed into turkey burgers. And then the locals said to me, Curtis, calm down. They, they, they walk across Highland Boulevard every day. They know how to work the lights. I was, like, amazed. <laughs> they were queued up until the lights changed. And then they went waddling across, away from this Seven Eleven over there, and and all the c- people in the cars just stopped. You know, it was almost like cows in India. You know, in the middle of the road, everything stops until the turkeys crossed. That's funny. I remember um, one time we had gone to Florida and there was peacocks who were crossing the road, and I thought the same thing. Oh my gosh, they must be out of their elements, and it's just, no, they just happen to cross the road. That's normal. <laughs> Let's go to the phones. It's first up in the queue, Terry calling from Pleasant Valley. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, we Terry. We have turkey uh, fuzzballs, like peacocks, <laughs> same thing. They're, they got every little creature out there to eat them. Uh, fox, raccoons, uh, owls, uh and these little fuzzballs, are, they're, they're already flying. They're flying. These turkeys and new peacocks and, and Nancy, uh, 
And my pussycat says, Rado says he's 21 years old. And he says, hello, Nancy. And uh, I don't want to hear any more bad stuff. So, bye-bye. Ha! I think he's a little half in the bag. I think he's been drinking that wild turkey, Nancy. But but very concise. I like that. Very concise. Yes, a lot of people have asked uh, me, though, about your medical condition and how you're progressing. Uh, Do you have a report for our audience? Well, I, I try not to, to, to listen to you too much because then I, I, it, it reminds me of it. But I thankfully I can say I'm feeling good. Um, you know, I'm, I'm mindful of just uh, keeping healthy habits up and, you know, just just taking care of, uh, you know, if I, if I feel a little tired, you know, take it a little slow. Just, you know, just being more mindful of stuff. But I feel good. I feel healthy. Um yeah, I'm good. Good. A lot more cats to rescue. You showed me <laughs> the kill list today that's oh. put out by the animal and control uh, shelters in New York City, and they will kill them if they're not yeah, and, rescued. And again, it's, you know, this is the time of year where they're intaking a lot of kittens. And, you know, we were speaking last week about the reason why it's so important that, it, it, you know, it be part and parcel of anything New York City is doing in animal care, they have to go out there and spay and neuter these cats because it's there's an 80% mortality rate for kittens that are born outdoors. There's 500,000 cats living outdoors right now. I mean, you do the math. Within six months, they're dying. The, the type of death that they suffer is ridiculous. So we were looking at these animals on the kill list today. They're seven, eight weeks old. These kittens their eyes are so infected, they're closed up, you can't even see them. If someone does rescue them, you know, they might even, you know, lose both of their eyes. I mean, it's just so downhill they go so fast, and it's not necessary. It doesn't have to happen in these extreme numbers, and the shelters wouldn't be filling up if you take care of this at the front end. So, again, TNR has to happen. Spay and neuter has to happen. Let's go to Sandy in Brooklyn. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Sandy. Hi. I have a a cat that I got at a cat store. They say it was returned. And I said, oh, we'll love it anyway. She is the meanest cat. She doesn't want loving unless she wants it. She'll tell you when and how long. Nancy, is there anything I could do to um, make her more gentle? I've had her for six years. Oh, oh, wow. Okay, so let's see. So six years. Let's see. I mean, is there any sort of um, elements of progress? Like, is there anything the cat seems to be happy with? She enjoys biting me. Yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah, yeah. And if I'm very still, just sitting very quietly, she'll take her paw and bat me. Well, okay, yeah, so let's see. So, I mean, the the first thing that I would think is like, okay, so if the, the cat was returned, I mean, there could always be the, the possibility that the situation yeah. before was just a bad situation. Mm-hmm. I mean, unless right. the cat has like – normally if the cat has a really, really bad temperament and you're being kind to it, there could be – the first thing would be like an underlying medical issue. It's possible the cat has something that's making its temperament just that like jumpy and it's an underlying thing. It has nothing to do with – your interaction with it, or it's, it's even desire to interact with you. So I would say that's, I mean, especially if you're vested six years in, I would definitely suggest bringing that cat to the vet and just having some basic blood work done to see if there's anything underlying with the cat. That might be the reason. 
Ah, uh, let's uh, give our phone numbers out here. Boy, that was good advice uh, to look for underlining medical conditions. Just like with humans, if you have an underlying medical condition, you could be nasty uh, towards your fellow human beings. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. That's 1-800-848-WABC. WABC. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. As we continue on, it's Hannah in the Bronx. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Hour of WABC, Hannah. Hi, Curtis. Happy Father's Day, by the way. Thank you. Hey. Uh, hi, Nancy. How you doing? Happy Post-Mother's Day. Um, I have a comment, if I may. I know you guys talked about the fentanyl and stuff with the overdose. I live in the Bronx, right? And I live in the deep core of South Bronx. And people do drugs in out right open. And then you know what they do is they bury the drugs under the ground in the park. And what happens is some dogs who are like, you know, you know, when they want to use the bathroom, they dig. And what they do is I've seen several dogs die in my neighborhood digging and then they bite something. And the next thing I hear is that the dog died. It's crazy out here. I don't know what's going on, but, you know, how we can prevent this. I mean, I've been telling these people, you need to put your dog on a leash, and you have to be mindful of what your dog is eating from the floor. But there's people doing drugs, you know what I'm saying? Well, now, Hannah, which uh, park do you live near in the South Bronx? Oh, sure. I live near this park called O'Neill Park, and um, it's in um, 161st and Brook Avenue. Sure. And Elton Avenue. Yeah. And there's a park, and it's right next to a... um, a safe haven shelter, and majority of the people over there are doing drugs and right out open, and then they bury the drugs so they don't get into the, the safe haven shelter so they won't get in trouble, so they bury it on the ground. And then what happens, um, I hear my neighbors telling me that the dog died uh, a few nights ago, and they don't know what it is, and, of course, they don't know the proper steps. They just take it to you know, ACC to put them... Well, that that is true, Hannah. The shelters have rules and regulations. You have to check in by 10 o'clock at night or you lose your bed. For a lot of the shelter residents, just having a different bed is upsetting. So they actually strive to be there by 10. That's curfew. But it makes sense because they are not permitted to have alcohol or drugs in the shelter. Some of the shelters, they search you. So uh, you can imagine, Nancy, the guy or the gal, they have their drugs. They haven't used it yet. They figure we'll go to the nearby park, we'll bury it there. And then when we come out in the morning from the shelter, we'll go retrieve it. In the meantime, a dog has already dug it up and possibly ingested it. That makes a lot of sense. Anyway, our number is one 800 Ken clearly has uh, lost. Uh, are you there, Nancy? No, I'm here. I'm here. Uh, I was going to blame Ken, smack him <laughs> in the head for dropping you. Uh, but you still blame him for something else. But it actually makes sense. I've seen guys and gals, they queue up to get into the shelter before 10 so they don't lose their bed. And it, most shelters, you will be searched. You will be searched for alcohol or drugs. You know, and, and it makes sense in, um, in obviously, uh, when you see some of these more, uh, like the community garden type areas, 
they're usually a singular lot um, that's in between buildings. So, I mean, that's where, you know, it's not a big open space park. It's where a lot of, you know, people are, are there. They're going to be congregating there. So, wow, that, yeah, that's something to be mindful of. Just shows you again how drugs are everywhere in this city. Rich areas, middle class areas, lower middle class areas, poor areas. Let's go to Gail in the Upper West Side. You're trying to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC, Gail. Hi. I'm so happy to hear about um, the feral cats being used to uh, keep the businesses free of rodents. Um, I have my own cat and mouse story. About 20 years ago, I've always had dogs. I had several dogs, but no cats. I had infestation of mice in my apartment two times. Got in the exterminator, just messy, very expensive. Dogs do not uh, go after mice, by the way. They run away from them. But anyway, then eventually I got a couple of cats. Not for the the mousing reasons, but I wanted them anyway. I have not seen a mouse since. (laughs) My cats patrol the apartment. They're dying to find a mouse. And sometimes they they pretend they have one. They act that secretive, like they've got something and they're running to hide it. And I think, finally, a mouse came in and they caught him. No, 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 it's a piece of dust or something. (laughs) And they want mice. Like a cotton ball. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, cotton. <laughs> so. Yeah, and, and also, anyway, um, uh, Gail, what I've spotted with the cats that we have in our apartment is that if it's, uh, let's say, a, a heavy rain outside and, you know, the insects emerge when there's heavy rains. Right. The moment a cat senses that there might be a roach or a water bug around, they're on the prowl, like they'll they'll put their snout underneath the refrigerator or they'll go into the bathroom. They're on the hunt. Those insects have no chance at all. The, the instincts of the cats are amazing. A, a wasp got in the other day, and they were going after that. I don't think they'd be too happy catching that one. But, <laughs> but they're wonderful pre- super predators. They are. It's natural. And... I get the city has made fun of me. There have been editorials written about me. Curtis is crazy. Cats can't reduce the rat population or the mouse population. And I know where this is coming from. Uh, If you use more cats, you need less exterminators. And you have all whole agencies of the city of New York that spend millions of dollars in relationships with Dow chemicals to get chemicals to eliminate rats and mice and rodents. And, boy, that would suffer a big hit if you would just use what Mother Nature created, the natural predator that exists in a cat, as just described by Gail in the Upper West Side, and let them do their their work. In fact, as Gail mentioned, they want to show you that they've done their work. They bring the, the mouse and they put it right in front of you. I mean, if if you're living in one of these areas like Washington Heights where they're so willing to dump all of this incredibly toxic rat poison all over the streets, all over the schools, all over the parks, everywhere, you should be mad that they're not implementing this program in your neighborhood because this is ridiculous that they're – I mean, again, this is toxic poisons they're putting down. It's everywhere in certain places. It's, It's all over the place. There's no shame in how much they'll put down, and everyone's walking through it. Everyone's breathing it. 
everyone's walking around in it. They're, they're getting on their shoes. They, I mean, er, this is it is unacceptable. People are getting sick because of this. Remember the first cat I insisted that we keep in our apartment because you wanted to release the cat back out with a feral colony. Although he had been beaten up so badly in some kind of a cat battle, he had almost no chance. It was a long recovery, and I said, nope, no." Nope. And what would happen? Occasionally he would catch a mouse, and he would put it in front of you. You'd run away because you were terrified. And basically he was saying, you see, he says, I'm earning my keep. Look at the work that I'm doing. And he would look up at you, too, like like a human would to another human. Yeah, except that it was like 3 in the morning, so I wasn't interested at that time. No, I understand that, but I looked at the cat. Good job. Good yeah, job. Good you're, job you're, you're, you're earning your keep, as you would say. You're earning your keep. That is true. That is true. Our number is 1-800-848-9222. W-A-B-C. The Curtis Sliwa Show presents Curtis's Ark with Nancy Sliwa. Now, with Nancy Sliwa, here's Curtis Sliwa. Let's go back to the phones, Nancy. It's Edward calling from St. James. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition of WABC, Ed. Hello, sir. Thank you for taking my call. I hope Nancy is feeling well. I want to tell you one thing. I had this um, cat out here in St. James. And he used to come back all bloodied and bruised. He was an orange tabby, and he died in my arms after 14 years. And uh, he used to kick the crap out of every other cat in the neighborhood. And my my friend had this other white white cat. He had, um, I guess it's from inbreeding. It's called Duclaws. He had these big baseball mitts of of, hand, of uh, paws, and he. He used to, there was no, no cat that would touch him in the neighborhood, you know? And it's like, um, but I love my animals, man. And I take care of, I take care of them. And, uh, but I was, I was sitting one time in, uh, um, in, in the kitchen and I, I saw my cat. I opened the garage door and my orange tabby was sitting there. And my next door neighbor had a German shepherd who was drinking out of my cat's water bowl. And, and my cat saw, I was like, yo, Scat, what are you doing? My cat, orange, George Orange Brownie, he saw that I had his back. He went after he went after the German Shepherd, scratched him in the back, and and the dog yelped and he continued chasing him. When he came back, yo, he was purring. I gave him the biggest piece of chicken. <laughs> he chased that German Shepherd right out of the yard. Ha! Let's go to uh, Annette in Ozone Park. Your turn to be heard here on the Animal Welfare Edition at WABC. Annette. Hi, how are you? I want to first say that you guys do great work. I'm very, I'm so grateful. I've, I've since I've been in Ozone Park, I've been trying to rescue cats, and I did the best I can. I tried the best I can. But what I'm really worried about is uh, July 4th for the uh, dogs. Cause, yeah, my friend and I noticed that over the years. So many dogs are lost because the people, I guess they don't, I don't know whether they realize these, these dogs, they can't be left. They had to be in the house because they run away. They run yeah. out. They're so frightened by them. Yeah. So I was wondering what you guys could suggest. Once I made flyers, but that didn't, <laughs> like a couple of blocks. I mean, this is really a problem. Do you guys have any suggestions or well, know how? Well, especially, Annette, where you are, you're in proximity to Howard Beach, Ozone Park. They put on a fireworks display. The people, uh, it's almost the equivalent of Macy's uh, Macy's uh, 4th of July 
extravaganza over the East River. What would you suggest, Nancy? Because I have seen, uh, especially dogs, just go berserk when they hear those fireworks. Yeah, I mean, again, right, so that's, I, I guess that's more of like an informational suggestion, right? Like, how do you get the message out to people, or how do you tell them not to do that? I, I think um, I think the f- philosophy, I think the philosophy would be that, you know, people are saying, oh, I'm going away for the day, or I'm going to be at a barbecue, so let me be nice and leave my dog outside, and not realizing that, no, no, they're going to be more traumatized. So, like, instilling the notion that, if you want to be kind and you're not going to be there for the day, you're better off just keeping them indoors and, keep, you know, maybe like putting on some soft music, some AM radio in the background, <laughs> something to sort of distract their attention so that they're not focused when the noise happens. So I think maybe just like bringing that awareness to them. But that is true. I've seen that before. They become so disoriented, the dogs, that they run away and they flee in fright. Yeah. And then they lose their their notion of where they are. And they're, they're running around because basically it's like the whales that we've discussed when there's the sonar being used out six miles off the coast and then the explosive devices to uh, embed the towers that then are going to have the windmills to generate the electricity. It completely disorients the whales and the dolphins. I could see likewise how the sound of the of the uh, blockbusters and the Roman candles and the the firecrackers nonstop would completely disorient a dog, and uh, they would be lost, it, almost like a, an adult who has dementia or Alzheimer's and would lose all track of where they are. Yeah, I mean, and, and that's why, you know, again, it's like, you know, you have to, it's important to think about pets as part of the family, right? So you don't want to leave them behind in holidays. Oh, I got to go. And uh, I mean, you have to recognize they are going to be traumatized when they hear the noise. And especially if you're not there, they're going to be super, you know, like, again, so you just have, you know, again, just being empathetic to their feelings and their emotion. I mean, it's, you know, they're, they're part of your family. So even if you're celebrating the day, I mean, you you really have to accommodate for this for this reality. And again, it could be just keeping them in a place like if you have a lower level, maybe you have like a basement level. But again, I think other things that can sort of drown out the noises, you know, or maybe you keep in like some of them, you know, with the things that are comfortable to them or maybe other pet friends that they're, you know, so whatever keeps them normally calm and, and comfortable, especially just being there with them. I mean, you know, you can also just, you know, make sure that you're there with them so they don't have to do that. So Now, if people wanted to, to stay in touch with you, Nancy, or get more information about the work of the Guardian Angel Animal uh, Protection Division, uh, how might they go about doing that? Uh, sure. So you can go to guardianangels.org uh, and the Animal Protection tab, or you can email me, nancy, at guardianangels.org. Well, you know, it's uh, disappointing that I didn't have the Big Mac Daddy here, uh, Dominic Carter, because I was going to ask him, what about this Juneteenth? Nobody seems to know anything about it, Dominic. It was like Kwanzaa when they first created that. Was, what the hell is that? Nobody seems to know about it, especially black folks, that this holiday, this federal holiday, is supposed to be all about. But he knew I was going to zero in on him, Nancy, so he's ducking for cover. Dominic (laughs) Carter, the uh, brother from another planet, 
I hope he's going to explain a holiday that nobody, including black people, seem to know about Juneteenth.